He's good. Mm. And if you don't really believe that this morning, first let me say I'm sorry you don't believe that, but we're going to ask the Lord to really reveal that to you, that you can see how good the Lord is in your life. That's, that's the main thing. Because once you start having that happen in your life, it, your life can really change. Amen? So, well, I guess I better go ahead and get started here or I'll just get messed up again. You know, Psalm 2 says the Lord laughs in heaven. And so anytime the Holy Spirit moves, I get this feeling I just want to laugh about what's going on. You know, and it's because God is laughing at the enemy getting stepped all over again. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord has such a sense of humor that he just loves to laugh at the devil when the devil starts getting slapped around and stepped on and treated with disrespect. Anytime the Lord's touching people's heart, the Lord's happy. Amen? Amen. All right, let me just talk to you this morning. I'm going to read first Matthew 16. Y'all don't get serious on me, okay? This is a summary from my message last week. So if you weren't here last week, I was doing this message. Last week was part one to it. And I could have just did this one and just said it all right here, but you know how that goes. All right, it says this, uh, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so that's the question that God has been asking people is... He's been asking us about him, himself. And sometimes uh, God has to allow things in our life to get messed up, to say the least, and disturbed to be able to hear the question. And <clears throat> everybody has an answer. Some say he's John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And all those can kind of represent, each one of those could represent something how people see the Lord. Uh, but that's really not the answer he was looking for. He said, so, but who do you say that I am? So, <clears throat> you know, God ultimately wants to get us all to that place uh, beyond what everybody else is saying about, their, their, about the Lord and, and down to what you say about the Lord. Because what you say about the Lord yourself is the most important thing there is when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. It's not what myself or any other person would ever say. It's what you say. It's what you believe about Him. um, We can believe things about the Lord. We can believe something about the Lord that's really awesome and wonderful. Okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help anybody else. But what you believe is what's going to be the thing that's going to be most meaningful to you and it's what's going to change your life. Amen? And so that's what the Lord was doing here is he was bringing something to these people, his disciples. And Peter said, uh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So here's the thing. This is the only way for us to really know the Lord. It's, you can't know God without God revealing himself to you. It takes, you know, the old saying, it takes God to know God. And it's really such a true statement. Is You can't 
you know, pray for a person enough, or you can't preach to a person enough, you can't be nice to a person enough, you can't talk a person into this. They have to get something. John the Baptist says, a man has nothing until he receives it from heaven. And so, that's, and that's, so, that's what the Father does. The Father reveals Christ to people. And when people get saved, it's because the Father has revealed this person to them. And when Christians get on fire for God, it's because they've received something from the Lord. A revelation of God. A revelation of His love. A revelation of His character and nature. And that's what He wants to do for you and I over and over in our lives. And then he said, you know, I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against. It's sort of interesting that he, as once we begin to see the Lord, then we can understand our true identity. This is sort of an old teaching, right? Y'all have heard this many times, but actually many people have not heard this. You've heard it with your natural ears, but you haven't heard it with your heart. And only when you hear this with your heart, when you hear God speak to you your identity, that's when you will know your identity because only he can tell you who you are. Like he did here with Peter. He told Peter, this is who you are, Peter. Okay, and that's the moment of truth for Peter concerning Jesus and concerning himself. Uh, you can never know yourself until you know the Father. You can never know who you are until you have a revelation of Him. And in, and in revelation of Him is when you begin to get revelation about yourself. That's such a vital understanding for us to have. Because apart from that, you will spend your life trying to do what every young person who's in high school or junior high or middle school are desperately trying to do is have an identity and find out who they are. And, and somebody is there to give you identity. There's all kinds of things that want to give you identity uh, if, apart from his identity. Your spouse can try to give you an identity. Please don't accept that identity they give you because more than likely, even in their good intentions, they have no clue what they're talking about um, unless they're speaking prophetically into your life. Um, your, the church has no legal right to give anybody an identity, although the church is world famous for trying to do that. That's where religion comes from, is, is through the church trying to give people identity. And of course, we know the world will. I mean, the world's great at that. The devil, the prince of the power of the air, is fabulous at releasing identity to us, constantly giving us lies about ourselves, about how we don't measure up, and that we're we're too, we're too fat, we're too skinny, we're too tall, we're too short, we're too ugly, we're, too, we're not nice enough, we're not doing this right, we're not doing that right. All that's from, from hell. And so the revelation of Christ, this person that we want to stay in touch with all the time in our life, causes us to get in touch with who we are. Yeah. And also he says, uh, you know, that, He's going to, after he shows him himself, he talks about the church. So that's another thing that's really important. People don't really understand church because, number one, they don't understand the Father. They don't understand Christ. Number two, they don't understand themselves. Therefore, they don't really understand what church really is. Impossible to understand church apart from a revelation of the Father, revelation of yourself. No question, period. 
impossible. You can't do it. It's impossible. And then the third thing, or the next thing he talks about, actually, he actually speaks about uh, the council of hell. Okay? The council of hell, the gates of Hades. He's talking about the council of the gates, because that was in those days. That's where the council was at, was at the gates of a city. That's where the elders were at. That's where the, so he's talking about the council of hell not being there to stand. Why do many Christians... Uh, struggle in their life. Why do many Christians have, you know, are people that fall from grace, people who that, that really get messed up in their life or, you know, it's because they don't have this revelation of the Father. And the gates, the council of hell comes against them. Yeah, I mean, that's really the truth. See, all this is tied together to revelation of, uh, from the Father speaking to a person's heart. So you want to over- overcome the devil you know, in your life, you have the power to overcome the devil right now. It's through this revelation of who the person of Christ is, who you are, who the church is. Oh, now we can understand what the devil's doing. We can sort of understand how he operates. We can begin to deal with those lies and put them down in our life. Are y'all following this? This is really great. And then he talks about the keys of the kingdom of heaven being released to a person. Everybody wants to be able to do that. And I think, uh, <clears throat> I think when Robin was here, he read out of the Message Bible how yes and no were the keys. The keys your tongue, it's your mouth, what you speak. But a lot of people are confused because it is true. That is where the keys are in your mouth. You know, uh, keys is what unlocks something. I can remember what happened to me was I was trying to go in the house one day, and I had a bunch of stuff in my hands, so I put my keys like this, because I was carrying stuff, and I got to the door, and I said, well, keys are So I set the stuff down, I was going to, that's what I was doing, because I forgot my keys were in my mouth. I was looking everywhere. I was fixing to walk around in the car, and then I felt it kind of bounce against my face. Oh, I was glad nobody was there to see the foolish boy looking for his keys. But that's where a lot of Christians are, is we're, we got the keys in our mouth, but they're not working. You know, we're saying stuff to the devil all day long. It's because, go back to the very reason they don't work. It's because of this revelation of the Father given to you about Christ, given to you about yourself. And who you are in Christ. Isn't that powerful? How God has laid it out for us. And so the last thing that we, you know, we're trying to pull off this thing. We're going to declare this and declare that. And, we're, and it doesn't work. And we get frustrated and we think, well, it can't be true. Well, this just doesn't work. It's because we're trying to do something apart from revelation. Knowing this Father. Because when you have a revelation of the Father, then what Jesus did only do what the Father did. He knew what the Father was up to. He knew what he could speak to. And he knew when, like, the people was like, the one guy said, make my brother divide the inheritance. He, he was thinking, well, I'm not hearing the Father tell me to do that. In fact, I'm hearing greed, so I'm not getting involved. You know? Do y'all, are y'all connecting with that? So that's really what God has tried to, is trying to do uh, with us as a church is to bring us back to the person of Christ, where Christ is always the center. Uh, he's the touchstone. He's the cornerstone, and he's the touchstone. He's the, he's the one that we always had to stay in contact with. 
in our personal lives and everything. See, otherwise your Christianity becomes something that's not meant to be. And so a revelation of him is what he's been trying to do. He's, and he's brought people into times. Uh, I share that picture, you know, of, of Adam, where are you? Of how we hide behind the trees that God planted. Uh, could be good trees, could be bad, but we're hiding in these places. And then God allows a winter time to come and, the tr- and all the leaves to fall where suddenly you feel exposed and you're feeling stripped in your life. You're feeling brought down in your life so you can begin to see uh, yourself. Where are you? And begin to ask yourself that question. Where am I? I mean, what has happened to me? Where have I gotten in, in, my, in my walk with God? Where is my life going? Because I've gotten away from Him. I'm hiding from Him. I've, I've lost Him in my vision. I've lost Him in my focus. And my life has, has, has gone astray. And, and we see that. So and God in His mercy allows winter to, to bear down your life and allows things that are wonderful. The trees were created by God. They were wonderful trees. They were wonderful things. But He allows the leaves to fall and there you are, so you can see your life more clearly. And that's what I think the Lord's been doing. And so I think, you know, anytime you, you talk about wanting to have a vision, the vision starts with Him. The vision starts with you seeing Him, you seeing yourself rightly. Does that make sense? And that's really what God's been doing in a lot of people's lives to bring us into a place of seeing things clearly and rightly versus seeing them just from the natural perspective. Amen? Amen. So now let's look at First uh, Timothy 3.5. And <clears throat> this is a really powerful scripture. It says, this is Paul talking to Timothy, of course, he's, and he says, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. That's pretty interesting, that terminology. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so that's what Paul's perspective of, was, of, of church was, was Paul's perspective was this. The church is the Father's house. The church is God's dwelling place on the earth. That's what the church was meant to be. And so Paul was saying, this is, I'm telling you this so you know how you can live in his house, so you can know how to conduct yourself in the Father's house. And, 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 the, and, he, and he didn't tell us, he's saying, it's the pillar and ground of truth in the world is what it's meant to be. Okay? And, and so that was what he was trying to get across to Timothy. So I believe, this is what I believe about our church. This is my dream, my goal. Is this, the highest call of the church is to be a dwelling place of, the God, of God in the Spirit. That's what Paul also said in Ephesians chapter 2. A dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's our greatest and highest call. Is that if It is the presence of God. And, and so that's the thing that... that it has to be the overriding factor for every church because that's what the church is. And anything that else that we put above that, then we've be- tried to become something we're not. We've lost touch with reality. And so um, this, this vision, this concept of what I call the Father's house is a burning 
vision in my life. It's, it's never left me since God revealed that to me. It's, it's always, it has been in the background of my heart that this is the thing. This is God's heart that what He wants to do is He's looking for places on this earth that He could literally come and live with people, and He always has. And we've made it everything else but that. And so, but God always brings, for me, He keeps bringing me back to this one place. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And so, here's the problem. When God begins to speak to you, you know, one of the great hard lessons in life is God reveals something to you that's real and alive, and you set out in your life to accomplish what you believe God's speaking to you. Most people, I mean, I do, you, and many of you do. Some people don't. They just sit there, but that doesn't work. That's, that's the opposite side. But most people will try to do what they feel like God's called them to do. They will begin to try to put legs on what they're seeing and what they're hearing, and they will begin to put together things, right? And in the middle of putting together things, you sometimes, many times, discover that God doesn't seem to be with you in what you're doing. And you are confused in your mind because you know there's something alive inside of you. And you're trying to bring this thing that's in you and cause it to be birthed into this natural world because you know that's what God wants. You know deep down inside He wants it. Yet you struggle in your life and you fail and you spend money and you spend time and you do things and you look in the mirror and think, I'm a fool. And you want to walk away. And you do walk away at times for a moment. But that's that little thing inside of you doesn't walk away. It goes with you. You're walking away and it's going right with you. And so you somehow you get pulled back into it for another round of futility. I'm describing my Christian life. So I learned this great, hard, hard, hard lesson is that God is one billion percent committed to what He says. But He has zero, zero commitment to how you interpret what He says how you understand what he says, and how you try to do what he says. He is totally uncommitted to that. Totally like, that's what you're doing. Really. And then he goes silent. And I found he's only committed to what he says. He's committed to himself. He's committed to love me no matter what I do. I mean, I can you know, wreck everything. And he's still committed to love me because he's committed to that. But he's not committed to my outworkings of my revelations, my outworkings of my understanding of what he's telling. 
I read the Bible. I try to do what the Bible says. And he says, you think, you know that? You think that's what that means? I, I, was, I, had, I was not even talking about that. <laughs> and that's what the God I've learned in my life. Does anybody else learn that God? <laughs> because the Lord doesn't want us to live by principles. He doesn't want us to live by rules. He wants us to live by relationship, by His voice, by His presence, by His love. That's what He wants us to live by. All that other stuff, it's like, some people live by principles. It seems to work. It's like, well, you just got lucky. <laughs> I tell you, the day comes, it's not going to work for you. And really, that's sort of a good day, although it's a sad day when everything crashes down. All the leaves get stripped away, and you're sitting there. It's not my life's not working. That's the place where you can really find Jesus Christ. That's the place where He's saying, "You know what? All oh, that don't matter anyway. The only thing that matters is me and you. I want to get you back to that. If I can just get you back to seeing me again, all oh, that's going to work itself out." I can just get you back where you love me, not what, what I, not necessarily what I do for you, although I want to do a lot for you, but I, I want to have a relationship with you. I, I want to do something with you. You know, I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. Those, those places are not easy to get to. They're really not. But once you get there, you realize it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And God's a faithful God, and He'll do what He said in your life. You... You let me tell you something. God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at. I remember one time, I don't know why the Lord brought this up to my mind yesterday. I can remember one time that I was in a mess in my life because I had just went through this scenario, you know, one of the many times of trying to do fulfill what I felt like God had told me to do, what God had called me to do. And I got so messed up and so frustrated in my life that I just said, I, I just quit now. I'm quitting. I was telling everybody, well, I'm taking a sabbatical. I'm just taking a rest. You know, I was telling everybody that. But inside I was saying, I'm just done with this mess. I'm going to just go and just set my hind down and act happy on the outside, but the inside, I was dying. I was hurting. I was so frustrated. I was weeping on the inside, weeping like a baby. And I felt dead in my life. I felt dead. I felt confused. I just felt, i tell you what I did. I was so messed up. And, I don't, and I'm a sort of a thinking person, like go to the bank machine and do your bank thing, and I left my bank card there. Back in them days, men didn't have changing tables and girls in their bathrooms like they do now. You know, there's ba changing tables for guys, for babies, and men. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Okay? Well, back in them days, they didn't exist. I walked into a girl's bathroom, and I looked at it and thought, dang, I didn't know they had changing tables in here now. <laughs> yeah. Next thing I know, Becky's like, God, you're in the wrong bathroom. Get out of here. I was so messed up in my life, I couldn't even tell which bathroom to go in. You know? I, you're messed up when you, you know what I'm talking about. 
when it's just a bad day, man. It's a bad time. And I remember I was just going to get through, get through it, get through the moment. That's uh, I'm just going to get through this. That's what I, the only thing I know to do. And I remember the Lord speaking to me. I, I'll never forget this for as long as I live. It was one of those moments. I was cooking hamburgers. It was on my deck. And there's a little table there beside the door. And I had a Bible set. My Bible happened to be sitting there. And I was walking by with a spatula in my hand going to flip the burgers. And the Lord said, get your Bible. I got a message for me. That's what he said to me. And you know what I said to the Lord? Well, I ain't preaching now, so why would I get my Bible? <laughs> That's what I said to him. You just say stupid stuff to God when you're messed up. Well, I ain't preaching now. Why would I get my Bible? And went out there and flipped my burgers a little bit, walked back in and sat down and picked that Bible up and just opened it like I was going to do something. I was just sitting there looking at it, and the phone rang. Okay? The phone rang. And this friend of mine called me, Hey, Byron, you come out here and preach at our church. Now, here's the truth. The truth. If God wouldn't have said to me, Get your Bible, I got a message for you. When that person asked me that, I, was, I would have said, Oh, no, no, I'm taking a sabbatical, man. If I'd have told him the truth, he'd be like, No, hell no. I'm done with all that. I'm through. I'm through. I'm through with God. I'm through with this call and stuff. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. God said that one little thing to me. One little thing. So he knew where I was at. And it wasn't just, you know, that set the course of my life for the last, how long that's been, you know, almost 20 years. That changed the course of my life. Because God knew where I was at. And God wants to tell people in this room this morning, I know where you're at. You think I forgot I didn't forget. If God's made a promise over your life, He knows where you're at and He knows what to do to ring your bell and get you into that. The best thing you can do is let Him. I don't think my my attitude and stuff was all that good, really. I think it was kind of bad, you know. But most people's are, right? When you're messed up, you're just messed up. And so I want to encourage you this morning that God knows where you're at. God's word over your life will be fulfilled. It may not be fulfilled the way you thought. And that's why you got disappointed and hurt and all beat up. You probably hurt a few other people in the, you know, collateral damage. You know, right? So that happens. But you know what? God knows the promises he's made over your life. And there's going to come a moment in your day, one day, when God's going to show up unexpectedly while you're flipping burgers, all messed up on the inside, weeping on the inside. And he's going to say, hey, this is it. You may not know what's in, but this is it. Get your Bible. I got something to say. And things are going to shift in your life. And the promises of God are going to begin to flow in your life again. And you're going to come into what God promised you because God is faithful to his word. Amen? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. That was just it. So anyway, so I believe that about my life today that the dreams that God has put in my heart for this church will come true. I will be honest with you. I've sort of made a mess of them in a lot of ways, trying to fulfill them. But they're still there. And I went through a moment where I just thought, I'm done with all that now, Lord. Let's just do something else with my life. And, 
let's think of a new dream. Let's come up with something new. And he didn't. He brought me back to the old dream because the old dream is his dream. Okay? The old dream is God's dream. He, it really is. There are the, this is what I really believe is going to happen in the earth. You know, in, uh, <clears throat> it says this in Second Samuel 6. This is, mm, thank you, Jesus. It says, you know, David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem after he became the king, just fanatically wild about the presence of the Lord. That's why David is such a key character in the Bible, because he was just fanatically wild about the God's presence. God's put it at heart in every one of us because that's the heart of Jesus. This is what I love is the day Jesus comes to church and Marcy Davis looks like a quiet little polite girl in her worship compared to Jesus' worship. People think Marcy might act wild. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, number one, the Lord's saying, well, I I sort of like that. That's the kind of worship I like. I think if Jesus came in here, he'd be the loudest, boisterous, out of controlest worship in the house. I think he wouldn't say, sit around. I'm, I'm going to go act nice around everybody and, you know, and try to be polite. No, I think he would just like, where's Marcy? Let me see how, I'm going to show Marcy how to outdo Marcy. You know, I really believe that. That's why the Lord laughs and gets all carried away at times instead of being solemn and all that. Jesus wasn't that kind of guy, really, honestly. But anyways, this, they brought, that was the way David was. He was just fanatically crazy about the presence of the Lord, and he didn't mind showing it. And, but he got messed up a little bit with the deal, just like we all get messed up with our dreams. Okay? So he was trying to bring this dream of God that he had lived for since he was a young man out in the wilderness when he first began to encounter this dream and went through all this stuff, okay? And suddenly, finally, he was in a position in his life when he could take the dream and bring it and put it in place and share the dream with everybody, the presence. And so he's doing this, and in the middle of it, Everything just goes bad. I mean, we think things go bad in our dreams. People are starting, this guy dies, you know, over his dream. That's some pretty serious collateral damage. And so David gets upset. And I can imagine him saying, like, what the heck? I've wanted to do this all my life. I've been waiting on this day since I was 16 years old. And this is what I get. So he goes home. It says he was upset. How in the world am I going to do this? How in the world am I going to do this? So he tells this old dude there, like, we think he asked him, like, Obed, will you take this? No, I don't think he asked. He was the king. Hey, get this, take it to your house, period. No questions. And, you know, Obed's probably sitting there like, that thing just killed that dude. And you want me to take it, but you're the king. So I'm going to do what you told me to do. David goes on up to home messing up, messed up in his heart, messed up in his mind, trying to figure out, what the heck? What, what kind of God is this? The dude was just trying to stabilize, and you killed him. And you won't be all these years. I have 
long to have you. And this is what you do. Now what am I going to do about this guy's family? You go talk to him about it. <laughs> I'm putting words in David's mouth, but that's what I'd be telling him. You're going to have to help him. Because I don't know what to tell. I'm like, God's crazy. Don't touch him. He's touchy. But see, the problem was he knew he wasn't touchy. That was his problem. His problem was, taint, taint the God that I encountered. That's not the God who got me out of every gym I was in. That's not the God who made me king. I don't understand this God. That's what was really tearing him up. If God had always been crazy and touchy, he would have known it. But he wasn't. But he acted in that moment. So Obed took the Lord home and set him up in the house. I can imagine Obed Obed telling his kids, Don't get near that thing. Because he will take you out. And I can't protect you. I just had this imagination about Obed-Edom. Waking up in the middle of the night hearing something. Somebody's in the house. And walking in the room where that thing was setting. And this blue aura was emanating from it. And he's thinking, that don't seem so bad. And he inches his way into that blue aura because he feels it drawing him. And he's saying, I saw it kill that guy, but I think I feel something else. I feel something I've wanted to feel all my life. I, I feel something that I have longed for from the time I was a little boy. It's, I've got to have this. I'm going to take the chance. And if I die, it's going to be a good death. And he goes over there and crawls on top of that thing. And everything in him comes alive. Everything. And he knows at that moment, this is why I'm on this earth. I'm on this earth for this. This is why God put me here. He put me here for this. He didn't put me here for all the other stuff. And so, in the meantime, his wife comes in the room. She's going ballistic. Like, oh God, what the heck are you doing? Get off that thing. His kids are woke up. They're flipping out. You know, the house is in chaos. Can you imagine? The kids are crying. Everybody's scared. And he's over there. Something's happening to him. In the middle of that chaos, they all got on that thing and began to really experience the Father's love. This is what you were talking about, Daddy? That's what you told us about, the God of Israel. 
all those stories about him. This is this is what it was. And you know, it says that one verse it says in Second Samuel six eleven, it says the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. And one of David's guys says, Hey David, everything Obed has is blessed because of the ark. Everything. I mean he's got more crops. Everything's blessed. Because of the presence of the Lord. And I can imagine David saying, Doggone it. I'm going to have to go get it. Because i got to have it. I'm going to take another shot at it. I'm going to take another shot at it. One more shot at it. And in the meantime, he kind of figured out, like, uh, this is sort of the way he likes to be handled. You know, he wants certain people to do certain things. He don't want to be hanging on no cart. You know, <laughs> he wants these certain people to carry his presence. So I'm going to get those people. And he got them, and he went and got it. And I can see Obed like, you know what, David? I think, I'll be honest with you. Listen, I can't part with this. I just can't part with it. So... Please let me go with you so I can be with this. I'll do anything if I can just be with this. This is, You know what I'm talking about, right, David? And I can hear David saying, I know exactly what you're talking about. Pack everybody up and bring them. And he did. Actually, Obed-Eden came, became a, uh, a priest that ministered in David's reign. He moved up there with the ark, picked his whole family and went, went up there and went with the Ark of the Covenant, went with the presence of the Lord, and lived his life there, ministering, you know, for before the presence of the Lord. And so, I think that's that's the dream. That's my dream. It's always been my dream. But, you know, you get like David at times, where you get, everything just gets confused in your life. You know, it's everything gets messed up in your life. And you just, like David, like, forget it. Let me get away from this. Let me, let me escape this. And so, <clears throat> I've decided I'm not going to, I'm going back and getting it. You know, what I feel like God's put in me, I'm going to go back again and try to see, see what I can do about it. You know, because I don't want to quit on it. I don't want to give up. I can't give up. Ooh, have mercy, Lord. Anyways, I was supposed to do this message today about what that kind of looks like, but I kind of got distracted on all that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what... God is looking for. It's looking. Oh, I did want to tell you this. Okay, let me just tell you this one thing before I stop. I had this dream a while back. Okay, and this is what the dream was. A dream I was on an airplane going somewhere. I knew I was going on some kind of ministry trip because 
it was one of those miserable situations. You're stuck on this long airplane flight, and you feel tired, and you feel exhausted, and it wasn't like I was going on vacation. So I get there, and I get to this airport in this city somewhere. I don't know where it was at. And these people came and got me, and they put me in this car, and then they drove me a long ways in this car, away from everything. And they really, wouldn't even, they really weren't talking with me much. And I was sort of concerned, like, am I being kidnapped or something here? I mean, you know, in the dream, I'm thinking, these, these guys ain't telling. I mean, I knew I was supposed to be with them, but I was like, getting a little bit concerned. They was going to take me out and do something bad to me, you know. <laughs> Nobody, like I'm not some kind of person anybody would want to get because I don't have anything. But, you know, your mind works on it. Like, they're going to do something really bad to me, and I'm, I have nobody here to help me. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm lost in this other country. And then they took me to this house, okay? And it was a real out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere, rural, almost peasant-like situation. And they said, listen, you have been chosen for this. That's what they said. You've been chosen for this. Now, you have to be, you can't tell anybody about this. Nobody can know about this. I thought, well, what am I being chosen for? And why can't I tell anybody about it? They said, you're going to see. So they came, and I was sitting around this house, and it got dark. And they, they said, come in here and sit down. And they, they said, you don't, it's going to be scary, but don't worry about it. Just be still. It's going to be okay. So I'm sitting in this dark, peasant-like house. And suddenly, this thing came into the room. And you want to know about scary? I wanted, to cl- I wanted to claw my way out of that room. I was so scared. I was not scared like... I was scared inside of me in places I didn't even know were in me. That's how scared I was. I mean, I was scared to the depth of myself. And this thing just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was the presence of the Lord. And I was completely undone by this presence of the Lord. Now listen, there were two or three other people in the room. That's all they were. And so that went on for a bit. And then the dream shifted. It was the next day. And they said to me, God is doing this in the earth because he's preparing people for this. Because the day is going to come when God's going to expose that to everybody. It's like, this was like Obed, that's Obed Edom's house. Just a few little people got in on this because God's going to do it all over the earth. It's not like a revival thing that God wants to do. It's God coming to his people and people experiencing God like they've never experienced Him, ever, ever. And God is wanting to prepare people for that moment so people can stand in that moment. Because the way I felt in that dream, if God came in this building right now, I think I would probably be the first one out that door. It, it was so frightening and powerful. But God's looking to do something way beyond a revival. Way beyond. Way beyond a revival. God wants to come and be with his people. Now, <clears throat> I, so that's the thing I probably should. And so I believe that. 
I believe that dream was, and I believe those places exist on the earth right now. I believe there's places. They're not revivals. They're not churches necessarily. They're little houses stuck up in the woods somewhere, and nobody knows about it. And those people who are in their houses, God's getting those people ready for the day when he really comes into the earth and settles on people. So there can be somebody there that sort of has some clue about what's happening to be able to help the people who don't have a clue to be able to embrace that presence and embrace what he's doing because there's a harvest that God wants to bring. He wants to get a people equipped to be able to take that presence and give it to people because everybody in the world wants this presence. Because when we begin to experience it, you'll know. Amen? That's the dream. That's my dream. And I have these other things I'll share with you maybe. <clears throat> Part three. If I get it's all one. So I'm just going to pray and end. Okay? Y'all all right? Y'all looking at me kind of. Why don't we just stand up? Sure you can, Pam. Good morning. This is what I want to share about um, what he's speaking. This is what happened in my son Alton's life. Um, he didn't have it together, and he was messed up, and he felt like a lot of times the enemy was like, the Lord showed me this huge tug of war with knots in it, and he knew the Lord. He knew the love of God. He knew the presence of God. He experienced it. But in his mind, the Lord showed me that here was the Holy Spirit on one side. Here was the enemy, the demons on the other side, constantly pulling him back and forth. And that was what was going on in his mind. Except for the fact, because he experienced the Lord, he was able to come back into the presence of God because he knew that that's where he belonged. He knew that there was deliverance there. He knew that there was hope. He knew that God loved him beyond what was going on in his life. He knew that that love was more powerful. And he would come in here and he would talk to people and people would say to him, not, and they would not look at him for what he was or what he was doing, but they would speak life into him. They would speak the love of God into him. He experienced the love of God in this church and outside of the church as he experienced us in his life. So I really feel that drawn. Like this morning, the, the fellow that he went to live with, Bacon, came to our house this morning. And he said, where are you going, Pam? I'm going to church. And he looked at me with this look, and he said, well, tell God I said hi. I said, you tell God that you said hi. You can tell him that you said hi, just like I can tell him that you said that you said hi. I said, because he loves you and he wants you to come to him just as you are. And that's the thing. We have to tell people that they can come to God as they are because God is love. And, it, and he'll take care of all the rest because even to the very point of his death, he, what the Lord did was the Lord said, Pam, he said, I was with him from the time he got on that bike to 
the time of the impact, and immediately he was in my presence because God never left him and he never forsook him. And God is never, ever going to leave us and he's never, ever going to forsake us. And that's the message of God's love that we have to share with people out there that aren't going to come in here or that, like Byron said, there's going to be difficult times and we are housing the presence of God and we are going to share that with people and it's going to be it's going to be that that that's what we're sharing the presence and that presence is where it's going to be their lives are going to be changed and it's just going to be like these fires going on everywhere because they're they're going to experience the lord in ways that um they never knew him so thank you lord that's that's awesome isn't it that's that's healing that's healing for people Lord, thank you that Alton is with you today. And we know Alton struggled, Lord, but we know that you are greater than his struggle. And we know that you're greater than any of our struggle, and you love us, Lord. And, mm, just wanted to invite anybody who, well, if you don't know Jesus, today's a good day to know Jesus. And if you want to give your life afresh to Jesus, or if you would like to say to the Lord, you know, your dream, Lord, the dream, Lord, the dream, the dream, the dream, the dream, the dream, the dream, Lord, the dream, Lord. Help me to see you, Jesus, so the dream can come alive in me again, Lord. I don't want to live dead. Lord, I don't want to be a dead man walking. I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to be bitter, Lord. I don't want to be discouraged and disgusted all the time. Lord, let me see Jesus afresh today. Let me see Jesus today, Lord, so the dream can come alive again in me, Lord. And what you put me on this earth and why you left me here to live when you could have taken me many times, Lord. You chose to leave me because you put a dream in each person in this room's heart, whether they know it or not. There's some people who have never touched a dream. God wants to tell you today, I put a dream in you. I put something in you. And when you get real still at night, you'll be real still. That dream will talk to you. It'll talk to you. And those, Lord, that have had the dream, have heard the dream, even tried to live the dream and it all fell apart and they don't know what to do. I pray today they would just be... The dream would be woken up. Lord, you're our dream. You yourself are our dream. You are, Jesus. You're our dream. There's nothing else outside of you, Lord. There's nothing outside of you. There's no hope outside of you. There's no healing. There's no dreams. There's nothing. Lord, the Bible is not. doesn't even exist outside of you. You said you are the Word. You said you're everything. I pray for everybody in this room, Lord, today that somehow they would catch you, they would see you, they would hear you. Their dreams would come alive again like never before. Amen, Jesus. So mm, if you want some prayer, we have a prayer ministry team that's going to come up here right now.